Hello and welcome to this Dry Bones Ministries podcast. This is a Lenten mission entitled Beggars at the Foot of the Cross. My name is Father Adam Potter and this is a, a posting of a Lenten mission that I gave uh, this last Lent. And if you're at this point, this is the second part of the three-part series. So I guess you could dive in without listening to the first part, but it might be more helpful. And today's emphasis is on receiving God's mercy, being free to beg for his mercy. So God bless you. Pray that this next talk and series of reflections can be an aid for you to come before Calvary and to drink in deeply of his merciful love. I grew up um, in the city of, of Pittsburgh, and I have these two incredible parents, a mom who reminds me of the Blessed Mother. I just have gleaned so much from her wisdom, from her humility, her love for the Lord. She's just passed on so much of the faith to me. And really, in, in all honesty, my dad can just remind me of dear St. Joseph, one of those men who is always hard at work and yet never really saying all that much, bringing a lot of attention to himself. You have to, one, have to wonder, is he doing what he's supposed to be doing? It's like, yes, and then some, and always just behind the scenes. I'm the oldest of six siblings, so I'm just grateful for coming up in a large family where I was able to learn that uh, life is not about me. It's just not. It's about a lot more than me. And so as I grew up, my first love was definitely basketball. Basketball. It's definitely basketball. So definitely it consumed my most of my life, my time, and really in all the sad and pathetic ways that I look back and like, you were really lame. One of the greatest gifts that I ever got for Christmas was a set of outdoor industrial style lights so that I could continue to play basketball late into the night. And it just lit up the entire neighborhood with these lights. My neighbors loved it, as they were just like the ball would continue to bounce throughout the entire night, throughout the entire night. And I just remember like throughout this pursuing of like this professional basketball career to be able to be the next Michael Jordan, I had some great moments of humility. I remember talking to a priest one time about discernment and I said, Father, I just, I don't know what the Lord wants for me. I've always come to love the Lord and love the faith, and I'm thinking maybe I could be a priest, but I just have this love of basketball too. It was great, and he said, Adam, I've seen your jump shot. I think you should consider the priesthood. <laughs> Father, <laughs> Father, come on. Uh, and so I ignored it, right? I ignored it, and I went off to college. I played basketball at a Division three school, a branch campus of Penn State, and it was there that I was pursuing my dreams, and I loved it. I wanted to see how far could basketball take me in my life. And it was at that time that I really fell in love for the first time with this beautiful young woman who I started to date, and all of a sudden that dating relationship got more serious. I thought about marrying her. I thought about having a family. And I was studying math at the time, too. I just thought, wow, if this professional basketball career doesn't work out, maybe I can be a high school teacher and coach high school basketball. That would be great. And all the while, I'm just presenting all these great ideas to the Lord, these great ideas to the Lord. And I was just getting crickets. <laughs> there was just like no response of like, yes, finally you found what I have for you. And so finally, as I was just like coming to the Lord in prayer, I started going to adoration. And one of the things that happened that... In the depths of my heart, as I was praying about what I wanted to do, I just kept feeling empty. 
Like a real, and, and none of those were bad things. Like the girl wasn't bad, she was great. That uh, be, to be a teacher, gosh, it's super self. Like we have some incredible teachers who just like give them themselves, give them themselves. I know we have a lot of homeschool families here too. It's like, gosh, moms and dads who teach your, like, it's incredible, that sacrifice. So there's nothing wrong about that, but it was just like this emptiness that I knew it wasn't what God actually wanted for me and for my life. And so finally I had this great idea of asking God. <laughs> I know. It's like, Lord, what do you have for me? I couldn't hear it audibly, but I could just imagine like there was this eruption of applause in heaven from all the angels, like, yeah, like finally, you know? And it was at that like just openness to the Lord that he was able to work miracles in my life to bring me to this understanding of who he was calling me to be. Truly a priest. And he just worked incredible miracles. First to see that this girl that I was dating at the time, she was good, she was beautiful, but that was not who the Lord wanted me to spend the rest of my life with. To be a professional basketball player, I took another look at my jump shot and I realized, okay, maybe not. And so all of a sudden, right, miracle after miracle, I just had this moment of courage and maybe even more so humility to talk to the vocation director and the peace and the joy that just flooded my heart just the Lord knew how little I was just how tender I was and how fragile I was so he just flooded me with all this consolation of knowing beyond a doubt this is where I'm supposed to be and yet sometimes in the life of a priest it's easy maybe to feel insecure? Like, is this really? Lord, is this real? Are you really here? Are you really working through? And so the Lord, again, he's so good with me, but he had this, he gave me this one moment last year that settled it. Like if I would ever have a doubt that I'm not supposed to be a priest, if I would ever have a doubt that the Lord isn't working through me, I just go back to this most incredible mass that I've ever had. I'd like to tell you about it. It was in the summer last year, 2021. It was the 4 p.m. Vigil Mass. I don't know how your Vigil Masses are, but sometimes there's a tendency for the 4 p.m. Vigil Mass to be somewhat of a mass of convenience. People are there to get it out of the way, and hopefully it doesn't go longer than 50 minutes. Like, come on, Father, we have things to do. We have a dinner reservation or something, right? So I don't know. Like, there's just some of that feel at the 4 p.m. Mass, and it, this Mass in particular, that was just the sense that I got, and I'd only been there for about eight months at that point, so I just, like, it didn't really know them, especially because they were all still wearing masks. So I just didn't really know them or their faith or anything like that. So this Mass started as normal, and I went to sit down. Not only what you do during Mass, but for me to help me pray, I usually close my eyes. So I have my eyes closed, and I'm just praying. But then there was this moment of inspiration where I opened my eyes and caught off on the left side, so your right, in the very front pew, there was this man who had his head collapsed. And the woman next to him, shaking him. Now, at this point, the first reading is going, and I just knew I had the mo movement of the Holy Spirit that I needed to go. And so I left the sanctuary, I went down to that first pew, and I started saying, who is he and what is going on? And this woman's like, I don't know, I don't know him. I just saw him collapse his head and I've been shaking him and he's not responding and I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, I started feeling very helpless, but the Lord started sending me people. I was like, I need a nurse. And there was this woman who came, she's like, Father, I'm a nurse. I can check his pulse. I'm like, oh, great. And then I'm like, man, we need to call 911. And this next man came around. It's like, Father, I have a cell phone. Like, of course, you all do. It's <laughs> so like, you call 911. You check his pulse. Altar server. Get the oils. 
So I don't know where my altar servers are from today, right? If you would know what oils to get, right? There are three oils in every single sacristy, in every single church. There's the oil of the catechumens, the oil of the infirmed, and the oil of the... Yeah, there's that third one. So it's the oil of the infirmed, right? <laughs> there's the oil in the infirmed that you need to be able to anoint them. And here this altar server went back kind of panicked because I was like, we need this oil. And he comes back with the oil of the infirmed jar. And as I opened it up... It was empty. I need the oil. I need the oil. Like, go get the oil. And all of a sudden, right, the whole church is just like recognizing this is going on. But the mass still goes on. So now we're into the end of the first reading. The psalm starts to be sung. And this woman is now checking his pulse. And she said, Father, you need to anoint him now. Oil starts coming. I give him the anointing of the sick, the apostolic pardon. This man is covered in God's grace. And now all of a sudden, I hear the sirens. It wasn't more than 90 seconds, and the first responders were coming down, busting through the doors, coming in to do CPR on this man. I still didn't know his name, right? But all of a sudden, they bring him, and they're doing CPR on him in the first pew, and the psalm is now still being sung. And they realized they needed to bring him off to the floor where all of a sudden they're taking off his shirt, they're splitting it, and taking out the defibrillators to start doing CPR on him. And I just realized we need to pray. And so I went up to the lector who's right in the middle of the second reading, and I just said, stop. Stop. We're not stopping the Mass, but we're pausing. We need to pray. And so I just asked him, do you know how to pray the rosary? And the panic that went over his face. <laughs> It's not a test, but it kind of is. Like, I need you. And he's like, yes, Father. It's like, that's the Lord's answer. Start praying the rosary. And so I don't know if it was just his own nerves or if he actually didn't know how to pray the rosary, but he started praying a rosary that, like, didn't have any decades. It was just an Our Father with a Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. So it just, like, went and went and went. But it was good because we didn't have anywhere else to go but just to pray for who I came to know as Ken, who was there in the first pew on the floor. And then all of a sudden, you have this entire church who's now just praying the rosary for the soul of Ken. And then all of a sudden, as the first, the first responders are there, but now all of a sudden the ambulance comes and they come and they continue now with the defibrillator. We were there for about 25 minutes, just everyone praying. And finally I said, we need some structure to this rosary. Stop. We're going to start praying the Divine Mercy Chaplain. So now all of a sudden we move into the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And so we've prayed like three rosaries now. We've prayed about three Divine Mercy Chaplets. And they finally take them off on the stretcher and to leave and to go back to the hospital. Um, Ken lost his life that night. It's just one of those things, right? You just, you just think and like you're like, that Mass? Like, not a single person left that Mass. Not a single person was looking to get out early. But all of a sudden, right, when we continued on with the Gospel and the homily, it's like, throw the homily away, right? It's like, you just saw the Gospel right before you, right? That we would actually have our hope, not in this world, but in the world to come. That we would actually be able to appreciate what just happened. Like, this man lost his life in church. This man lost his life with the whole church praying the rosary for him, the Divine Mercy Chaplet for him. Like, do you know the promises that are associated with the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Like, you want that prayed for you at your deathbed. This man died with a priest there to anoint him, to give him apostolic pardon. If there was ever a straighter shot to heaven, it's like, this man had it. And not only that, he was off on the right side of the pew, and just like you have here, 
He was right in front of St. Joseph. In the year of St. Joseph, this man passed. And as St. Joseph is the patron of a happy death because he took his last breath with Mary on one side of his bed and Jesus on the other side. There's no better way to go. I was thinking about his wife, who because of her own fears of COVID and being extra precautious, wasn't able to be there in mass with her husband. Everyone was saying he wasn't the one with the health complications, it was his wife. And I was talking to his wife because I did the funeral, right? She said, Father, it was the craziest thing. When I heard those sirens, I knew. You knew? She's like, I, I knew, I knew, I just, I didn't know. And she was like, in talking to her, she said, Father, I know you never got a chance to really meet Ken or to know him, but if he would have known that that was the way that he was supposed to go, he would have rejoiced. You know, it's like, I didn't, I didn't know Ken, but there isn't too much else that I need to know about him. Like, that's it, right? And so just to think about, gosh, if my being a priest was only for Ken, worth it. Like one soul. Like one soul, you know? And yet the reality is it's not just one soul. It's like we have a battlefield out here in this world where there are many, many souls who need priests, who need the Lord's mercy. And there's no greater task than a priest to be a dispenser of mercy. And that's what I want to talk to everyone about tonight as we just come right to consider our own poverty and this isn't just like, oh, because I don't have any money. It's our own poverty because we recognize just how in need I am of forgiveness, just how in need I am of God's grace. We hear throughout Lent these different prayers. Lord, without you, we are doomed to fail. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Lord, without you, it's like, right, without you, Lord, we're nothing. And so to appreciate just how much we need the Lord actually frees us up to the joy of being saved. And so last night I just talked about poverty in general, what it means to really be a beggar before the Lord. Tonight I want to talk about being a beggar at the cross, and it's at the cross where we have from his sacred heart streams of blood and water where we can receive his mercy. And tomorrow we'll talk about being able to receive that very gift of his love in the Eucharist. Mercy. Psalm 25 says this, Look upon me, O Lord, and have mercy, for I am alone and poor. See my humiliation and my labor, and forgive all my sins, O my God. There's something powerful about the way that in seeking mercy from God, we come to this place of being alone and poor, even seeing my humiliation, my humiliation. I don't know if you've ever had to ask for mercy, Gosh, I'm asking for mercy all the time. It just wasn't too long ago where I had this interaction with someone close to me where all of a sudden I was just, I was speaking honestly, but I was speaking just like quickly and it ended up being insensitively. And here this person who's very close to me all of a sudden was just deeply hurt. And I was grateful because she came up to me afterwards and just told me how hurt she was. And I just remember, right, in that moment of just re re realizing what I had done, what I had said, the reaction in my heart. So it's not often, right, that we have people that would come up to us and actually reflect back what we've done and how it's affected them. 
but this was a grace for me, right? But the movement of my heart, it's like, well, I didn't mean it that way. That's not actually what I said. Or I try to defend myself or I try to like come up with different context or deep down, I still like felt that I was right or something like that. And I just remember being actually so humiliated that I was someone that I care about would say something that would be insensitive and not actually able to see her. And so all the while, the Lord was just inviting me into this sweet humiliation to come before her and just say, I am so sorry for the way that my words hurt you. I don't know about you. I just like, this is like, this is my life, right? Just like saying things or doing things, trying to be careful, trying to be sensitive. But there are just so many times where I'm operating out of a self-love, out of a self-reliance, out of a selfishness, and not actually being able to see other people. So I am so grateful that at every Mass, the Lord just infuses us with opportunities for mercy. I don't know how many of you go to the traditional Latin Mass, right? The very first thing that happens at a Latin Mass, a high Mass, is the sprinkling rite, where the priest just goes down and he sprinkles up and down the aisles, what, calling everyone to ask for the cleansing, merciful waters of baptism to be renewed within us, calling us to mercy. How about at the confidior, the priest and all the people, have you ever thought about this? Says, brothers and sisters, pray for me to the Lord our God while we strike our breast three times. Have you ever said that and really meant it? Pray for me, like really, pray for me, please. A sinner, right, in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do and just recognize, like, I am so in need of God's mercy and of you to help me and pray for me. I'm thinking about even the priest needing to be relied on at the Mass. Gosh, it's such a humble place. How many people today say like, oh, well, we could have more priests if they were married or we could have more priests if they were um, women or we could have more priests if they were like, and trying to expand it so that like just anybody could come up and actually build into the identity of a priest is this message that we come before the Lord in his mercy in the sacrament of the Eucharist dependent. We actually depend upon God to call men to the priesthood to be able to offer the sacrifice. And if there's no priest, then there's no Eucharist. And if there's no Eucharist, then there's no church. And so how dependent are we on God for all things? What do we offer to God? Gosh, in just seeking the Lord, we offer him bread and wine. It's like not gold, not silver, not a retirement plan. It's like bread and wine. Actually, in the prayer, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness, we have received the bread we offer you. Right? This isn't even bread that like we created or we came up with. You gave us this bread so that we can offer it back to you. So it's all in this poverty that we come into this place of worship so that we can receive his mercy. Here's this incredible encounter with Jesus and humanity in the Gospels. This is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9. After entering a boat, Jesus made the crossing and came into his own town. And there people brought to him a paralytic on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. At that, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why do you harbor evil thoughts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, 
or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your stretcher and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Oh, friends, the poverty of this paralytic. Most likely that he was born paralyzed. Or maybe he had some accident in his life where he actually knew the joys of being able to walk, to be able to run, to be able to get what he needed from the, from the kitchen or whatever it was, right? And then all of a sudden to experience this debilitating paralysis where he can't move. He's actually prone to stay on a stretcher for the rest of his life. Like what goes through a person's mind mentally? What goes through a person's heart when that? Like I don't know about you, it's so easy whenever I have my own debilitations to associate my own brokenness with my identity. Right? Like that this wound that happened to me or like this imperfection that I have all of a sudden is who I am and to start acting out of that this place that I am no good, that I can never accomplish anything, that I'll always be able to let people down, or like whatever the lies are, right? So I just wonder, like, what were the lies going on in this paralytic's man? That I'm no good. I'll never be able to be there for anyone. I'll always be here. I'll never be able to offer anything for anyone. And I'm such a burden on how many people. Gosh, my parents have to look after me. All my friends have to take after me. I'm such an inconvenience to everyone around me. I'm an inconvenience. So just think about like all these different lies that were going on in his mind, all the different insecurities going on in him. Gosh, was he miserable? I just wonder, right? Was he experienced just a misery in his own body, in his own heart, in his own mind? His friends see his misery though. His friends are the ones that are able to pick him up and to bring him to Jesus. And here's Jesus able to see everything that's going on in this man. What are the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Right, God made man who in the purity of his heart, out of the fullness of his eyes, is able to see the truth of who this man is. He says, courage, child. Your sins are forgiven. I've always wondered, was this man disappointed? Like, my sins are forgiven? Like, Jesus, look at me. Like, I haven't been able to walk for years. Look at me. I'm miserable. Look at me. I'm a burden on every single other, other person. My sins are forgiven. Do you even see what I'm afflicted with? Do you even know what's going on in my life? And I just wonder if all of that was going on in this man's heart, in this man's mind. And I just wonder if in the midst of the misery that he was going through, if he was missing the actual misery of sin. Friends, what about us? We are afflicted in so many ways in our world. We are afflicted in so many different ways in our own minds, in our own bodies. Do we know, actually, in comparison, the misery of sin? Of just how damaging that is, not only to us in this life, but to our relationships and ultimately with God. It's horrific, right? Think about how many people today just operate out of truly a fear. A fear of pain, a fear of getting old, and a fear of death. And we just kind of forget, right, that Jesus Christ, through the cross, has overcome death. That we no longer have to fear death. 
And yet, how many of us operate in this world just like trying not to get old, trying not to get sick, trying not to die? And meanwhile, like, are we even afraid of sin? We actually more afraid of sin than we are of dying. And so maybe this paralytic strikes close to home. What are the effects of sin? Friends, it's not just bad, it's horrific. Worse than any war, than any plague, than any pandemic, the sin that has affected us have brought us into this dominion where death reigns, where sin has power. We know this, right? Do we know that death has power? Gosh, I just think in these last couple months, being able to be with different families, one person in particular lost her dad to all these different health complications. And there she was, right? Like her family was well off. She had a lot of money. She had the best doctors at the best hospital with all these different people giving, giving her and her family advice. And yet still she was powerless before death. That this death would come to take him now in this time. How about sin? Do we know that sin is a power? Because of the original fall and the original sin, Sin has this power over us. It looks like this. Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do? Me neither. <laughs> Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do, that you knew that you weren't supposed to do, that you actually knew that you were going to be miserable doing, and yet still did it anyway? Right, like this is the fallen condition, and this is this reality that because of sin, worse than just like, physical defects, we come into this power, this dominion of truly Satan has a kingdom here on this earth. Have you ever wondered why whenever Satan is tempting Jesus in the, in the desert, he says, all you have to do is bow down to me and I will give you this world. That wouldn't have actually been a temptation if Satan didn't actually have dominion over this world to be able to offer him. And yet, through our own sin, we have handed ourselves in this world over to him. But this is why Christ came, right? He came to break us out of sin, to break us free from the effects of death so that we could be with him forever. And so how does he do that? He offers us his mercy. In Latin, mercy is misericordia. Broken down, miseria, cor, dia. Miseria, it sounds like the English word misery. Core, it means heart. Dia means to give. So what is mercy? Mercy is one's heart given to the miserable. So that Jesus would come to offer us his mercy, he comes to offer his own heart to us in the state of our own misery. This is why whenever Jesus sees this paralytic, he's able to see not just the surface level misery, but the depths of his interior misery of being separated from God and God comes in the form truly in our humanity to come and to break us free, to be with us forever. Courage, child. How much courage does it take to accept that our sins are forgiven? Gosh, in our humanity, it's so easy to think, but I don't feel forgiven. It's like courage, right? Despite what you feel, mercy doesn't depend on Mercy does not depend on our feelings. Mercy is a choice and that God chooses through his priests whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. 
that we might have the courage, despite how we feel, despite the shame that we experience, and despite the lies we said, I'll never be good. I'll never be able to show myself before God. I'll never be able to receive communion worthily. That we might hear in confidence, your sins are forgiven. We need this, right? Just to allow our hearts to be given over to this truth, despite our own experience, our own feelings. But so that you might know that your sins are forgiven, rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And when the crowd saw this, they all got up, they leaped for joy, and they glorified God. Friends, do we know the joy of confession? Do we know the joy of allowing our hearts, our entire selves, to be seen in all of their miserable wretchedness before the Lord? And allowing Him to still see us, and to know us, and to say, your sins don't define you. It's my love that defines you. Be free. Rise. Pick up your stretcher. Pick up the stretcher. All of your garbage, all of the baggage that you've brought with you to make you think that this is who you are. Leave it behind and be free. Friends, I wish I could allow people to know just the joy of being a confessor. To be able to see the weight that is lifted off penitents who come. It's the most glorious thing. Like, as if I could see them floating out of confession, right? Just like the joy. Some of the responses, it's like, woo, Father, that was incredible. That was awesome. And I'm like, I know, it's incredible. Every single time, right? Oh, and just the joy. If we could see a soul that has been forgiven of their sins, the sacrament of confession. Have you heard the story of Teresa of Avila? She has this vision of this glorious being where all of a sudden she comes to bow down before it thinking that it's God and her guardian angel says Teresa get up that's just a soul that has experienced the effects of confession like what looks to be God what looks to be divine is actually just a soul that's been purified of its sin through the sacrament of confession like that's the joy that's the glory I remember hearing confession one time for this um, young middle schooler and as he got done just pouring his heart out to me, I raised my hand to give him absolution, and he gave me a high five. <laughs> and I looked at him like kind of embarrassed, and then he was embarrassed, and then we just busted out laughing. <laughs> it's like, not far off, right? Like, just, like, yes, like, yes, the mercy of the Lord that's renewed every single morning, and that now we might be able to go with joy before the Lord and to be able to sing just the glories of his love. How incredible is the Lord? Gosh, his love knows no bounds. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, says St. Paul to the Philippians. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a man. He actually lowered himself to the form of a slave. And then he actually went even lower again, accepting death, even death on the cross. It's like, gosh, do we not know the depths of God's love for each and every one of us? Like there's nothing that keeps him from being able to show us just who we are to him. Yet St. Augustine says that God is always trying to give us good things. But so often he finds that our hands are too full to receive them. Friends, to be able to receive his mercy, we need to stand poor, recognizing our dependence on him. We can't forgive ourselves. As a priest, that's kind of inconvenient. I can, can, I can forgive so many other people, but I can't just look it in a mirror and say, Father Adam, I forgive you. Like, I too have to go before a priest and allow myself to be miserable. Priests who know me, and they're like, Father Adam, 
It's like, I know, it's me. I need, I need forgiveness, right? I think one of the most sad, one of the most discouraging scenes in the gospel is when Jesus comes across different Pharisees. And then in the gospel it says, and he could work no miracle there. Have you ever seen that line in the gospel? Like, what does that look like? Is it a deficiency on him? Is it a limitation in his power, in his efficacy? Like, no, of course not, right? For the Lord is full of grace, full of power. There's nothing that limits him. And yet when he comes across a heart that's full, when he comes a heart that's like, no, 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 I've got this religious life. I know all of the commandments. I know all of the prescriptions. I know how to live. Lord, Lord, I'm good. All of a sudden he can work no miracle there. That the Pharisees wouldn't allow themselves to be poor and needy. Gosh, may we never experience a pharisaical heart, but always in humility rely on him. I want to share with you something that's really brought me to this depths of needing uh, poverty in God's mercy. It's going to sound like a crazy tangent. And I just want to invite you to, to go with me. This is where my mind and heart has been. I hope that it makes sense to you. If it doesn't, I apologize, but we're just going to go there. So. There was this movie that came out in 2016 by Martin Scorsese. It was called Silence. I don't know if any of you have watched it before. I'm going to spoil the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Silence, it was this incredible film depicting these two Jesuits in the 1600s who left to be able to go and evangelize the Japanese under this authoritarian rule where the faith was not allowed. If there was any sign of public prayer or worship, they would be immediately persecuted and sentenced to death. And so as I watched the movie, my heart was just gripped by the courage of these Jesuit missionaries. Like, good Jesuit missionaries, right? Who are out there to like proclaim the truth of the gospel. Like, oh my gosh, this is it. And then when I got to the end of the movie, I was just so disappointed. It was trash. And so I read the actual book that's so much better. Don't watch the movie. If you can read the book by um, Shusaku Endo, it's so much more worth it to be able to encapsulate truly what happens. So here are these two priests, they go off, right? And the only, they're from Portugal, and they go off, and the only way that they're able to get in is that they find this guide. He's a Japanese, um, just a Japanese laborer who's able to bring them in and bring them to a village. His name is Kachikiro. So this Kachikiro seems like an always very pitiable, very just like d disgraceful, doesn't really have his life together. He's actually running from persecution himself, but he has this moment of courage to bring these priests into, into Japan and bring them to where the faithful are. It's interesting that Kachikiro brings these two priests into this one town that all they experience, this is it. Here, this faith has been nurtured, interestingly enough, not by priests, but only by the sacraments of baptism administered by the faithful in just quiet, silent prayer. And so these priests are able to come and celebrate Mass for these persecuted Japanese for the first time in years. And just to experience, right, like, what would that look like? To experience no Mass, no sacraments, and then to be able to have a priest come and pray in your own home? Gosh, it's just like the tears that must have been going down their faces, right? But it's just a few days after these priests are there that the Japanese authorities come in and they bring all of the people in this town out on the streets and they just go one by one by one asking 
if they know where the priests are? Do you know where the priests are? Do you know where the priests are? And here's the reality, right? They're just saying, if you do not tell us where the priests are, we will kill your entire family. But all you have to do is tell us where the priest is. All you have to do is renounce your faith and we will not kill you or your family. All you have to do, they would say, is just step on this image of Jesus. It's just a formality, they would say, and we will not kill your family. And so one person after the next, they go down the line, they go down the line, and then it gets to Kachikiro. And there, here's this man who, with great courage, brought these priests into this village, and he steps right on this image of Jesus. And while everyone else in that town said, I don't know where the priests are, I don't know where the priests are, Kichikiro, well, he didn't give the priests away, he apostatized. If that's not enough, all of a sudden these priests have to flee. And they're fleeing this town and they run into Kichikiro again. It's like, oh great, like now I can find someone who can lead me to safety. Now here's the reality. Kichikiro went to the priest and said, Father, would you hear my confession? It's like, Kichikiro, like I just saw you didn't put up much of a fight at all. Everyone else was showing great faith, showing great courage, and you just folded. But Padre Rodriguez, he forgives him, right? And then allows Kichikiro to lead them, only to find the Chikikiro. Kichikiro will then go on to betray them. He will sell out Padre Rodriguez and his fan to receive this recompense, this payment of all this gold. What did he want the gold for? I don't know. But all of a sudden, this would lead to their demise. Just talk, thinking about that, right? Here, Padre Rodriguez is betrayed by one that he entrusts, one that he had just forgiven, shown the mercy of God, and then is betrayed right away. Padre Rodriguez is then in the prison there, experiencing incredible persecution, incredible suffering, only to find that Kachikiro has again been captured. And he's then in the same prison cell as this priest. And I was just thinking about this, right? Like, this priest's life is over. And it's all because of this man who he's already shown love, he's already shown kindness to, he's already shown mercy to. And here comes Kachikiro. He couldn't have looked more pitiable, more disgraceful. He, his stench would actually fill the entire jail cell, but it wasn't just physically, right? This priest was just so hurt. And here comes Kichikiro to the priest. Father, I'm an apostate. I know what I've done. Here's the thing, Father, I am so weak. It's not even my fault, right? I'm just so weak. If I would have lived 10 years ago and died, I would have died as a good Christian. But right now, I'm under this incredible persecution and I'm weak, Father. Can you please forgive me? And just thinking about this, right? Like, talk about being a beggar to be able to know my weakness, that I would love to be couraged. I would, lo I would love to have incredible faith in the, in the face of all this persecution, all of these temptations, and yet I just fall again and again and again. And here Kichikiro comes in the face of this priest who all of a sudden has the most difficult time to see him in love. And he actually says this prayer. I wanted to read it to you. He says, Father, how am I to forgive this man? Could it really be possible that Christ loved and searched after this dirtiest of men? An evil 
There remained that strength and beauty of evil, but this Kichikiro, he's not even worth being called evil. He was thin and dirty like the tattered rags he wore. And yet he just makes this choice to offer him absolution and to forgive him of his sins. There's a lot there, right? And I guess I just want to bring it, first of all, to all of you, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced just like the depths of your own weakness of maybe coming back to confession and confessing the same sins over and over and over again. And maybe you're just tired of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced just fatigue. It's like it's the same sins, the same gossip, it's the same anger, it's the same lust, it's the same whatever it is, right? And I don't know if you ever think that God gets tired of forgiving you. Here's this reality, right? Think about St. Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. He talks about this thorn that God gave him in his flesh to keep him humble. And we don't know what that is, but I just wonder often, not that the thorn is a sin, but I wonder if the thorn is this thought that I'll never be free. I wonder if the thorn is this thought that this sin is me. Like whatever that lie is, whatever that temptation is, only to have the Lord remind St. Paul, it's when you are weak that then you are strong. My grace is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And it's actually in that moment of incredible poverty that Paul is able to experience God's mercy, his strength. If you're there, just want to invite you, courage, child, courage, right? Whatever lies might be coming at you to think that I'll never be able to break free of this. I'll never be able to get over this habit. Or maybe I'll just like suffer with this for the rest of my life. There's this incredible reality that God actually allows our struggle with sin to be the cause of our sanctification. That he allows our struggle with sin to be what actually purifies us. That we would have a greater trust in him and his mercy than in our own strength, in our own resolve, to just break free. If I could just stop with this sin. Because then all of a sudden we might be liable to think that his mercy is about us. And we couldn't have missed it more. But that we might be brought weak with our struggle could be the Lord's glorious plan to set us free. Now how about from the perspective of a priest? I've been in the confession for hours at a time sometimes. Hours, right? Just like weeks, spending like hours in the confession. And I can just tell you in all honesty, I've never come across this experience of not wanting to show God's mercy. So often people are like, well, what if the priest thinks differently of me? What if the priest judges me? Or what if the priest like this or that? It's like, I've never experienced that for once in my heart. If anything, when I get like weak, and I mean like weak and tired and fatigued, I just experience the strength of God's mercy that says, just one more, just one more, just one, right? Like this strength that is so clearly not of me because I've been in the confessional for three hours or whatever it is. My shoulder like starts to get tired, right? From like offering absolution, I'm like, I feel like Moses. I need someone to hold my hand up. Like this, like, Lord, thank you, Lord. Because whenever I'm tired, you never get fatigued. You continue to show your mercy and just the joys. It's even such that when someone comes and pours their heart out in this naked vulnerability with all transparency, with all raw emotion, my heart just rejoices 
to be able to think about the love that the Father has for this person who's come not just with courage, but with humility. As God says, all of heaven rejoices over one lost sinner. Like, what does that sound like? I don't know. I want to hear that more often. The soundtrack of heaven rejoicing at the return of one lost sinner. That we could hear that every single time. At the same time, I've never had to forgive someone that's tried to kill me. Right? But that was the reality of Padre Rodriguez in this Kichiki row, right? Someone who literally tried to take my life, attempted to hand me over for money. That brought me to think about John Paul II. Remember the story of his assassination attempt? Like, it's, talk about this incredible miracle, right? On Our Lady of Fatima, May 13th, here, John Paul II is going around St. Peter's Square for the Wednesday audience giving blessings. And there, an assassin comes to take his life within just a couple of feet, fires a couple shots, point blank, and he misses. Misses millimeters away from hitting core arteries in Pope John Paul II's heart. And he survived and he lived. Of course, John Paul II would say, I did live. Because one hand shot the bullet, another hand guided the bullet. And of course, he was talking about our Blessed Mother who on her feast day, Fatima, guided that bullet away from these core arteries. But the story is that Pope John Paul II, after he had fully recovered, he went to that jail cell to offer him mercy. What did that look like? In a sense, we all saw it. It was on the cover of Time magazine. It was like we were just like given this glimpse into this most intimate, beautiful moment of reconciliation. But like, what did that really look like? What did that really look like for that sinner, for that assassin who wasn't Christian and probably didn't even want mercy? Was he in this place of misery that I don't even want to be forgiven? I just want to rot here in the prison cell. Forget about me. I'm going to do my time and I'm going to die and I'll like figure it out. And yet John Paul II, as this missionary of mercy, comes breaking into that jail cell and all of a sudden comes to say, your sins don't define you. But it's the Father's love that defines you and has come to set you free. Misericordia, the heart given to misery. At the end of the novel, the priest is given this incredible temptation. Instead of him thinking that, oh, if I don't renounce the faith, the faith then you're going to come and you're going to kill me, you're going to torture me, you're going to take my life, and then I can be this glorious martyr. All of a sudden, the torture was flipped. The priests were tortured in a way not by their own martyrdom, but by the martyrdom of the faithful Japanese around them. And the longer that you priests do not renounce the faith, the longer that you priests don't step on this image of Jesus, the more faithful Japanese are going to die, the more that they're going to be tortured, they're going to be hung upside down in these pits with slits cut right behind their ears so that blood drips from their head slowly and painfully. And the more that you don't, the, more, the longer that you wait, the more suffering that you're going to endure. And all of a sudden, right, here's Padre Rodriguez coming with great courage, great strength. I'm going to go and evangelize. I'm going to be like St. Francis... Uh, St. Francis Xavier, like whoever it is, right? I'm going to come and I'm just going to walk in their footsteps. And then I'm going to be a martyr. I'm going to offer my own life for these faithful. All of a sudden, he recognizes incredible weakness and even anger because what he experiences is silence from God. 
Where are you, Lord, in the face of this persecution? Where are you in the face of all these people who are suffering? And then whenever he's given this opportunity, you can end their suffering. All you have to do is step on this image. At that point, he hears this voice come from the very image of Jesus that says, Stomp. Stomp. It was to be trampled on by men that I was born into this world. It was to share men's pain that I carried my cross. And when this priest, finally, after weeks, months of silence, he hears this voice who he thinks is from Jesus, and he apostatizes. He steps on this image. And that's kind of where the movie leaves it. And you're tempted to think like, wait, what? Did Jesus just say to renounce the faith? Did Jesus just say, like, this is why I came to end physical, worldly suffering? And that's kind of how the movie ends it. And that's why it's just such a tragedy that this was presented as like, this is what Lord, the Lord is looking for, an ending of worldly suffering. But the book presents it much more accurately. After he compromises on his faith, all of a sudden in his silence and in his misery, recognizing his lack of integrity, his lack of courage, his utter weakness, he realizes that voice didn't come from the Lord. Jesus would never call me to do something like that. And then all of a sudden he just recognizes, wait, how weak am I? How weak am I? And this Kichikiro figure who continues to follow him all of a sudden like comes back into his mind and he just has this thought, wait a second. What if all the while that I was condemning Kichikiro for being weak and not having enough strength and only if he would have tried harder, prayed more, he could have been able to stand up to this test. What if I'm just as weak? What if I'm even weaker than him and I've been given so much more grace, I've been given so much more training and formation and investment and here I am in the same miserable place. This book proposes this incredible glory of Padre Rodriguez coming to experience the depths of his poverty and it's in this that he's able to come before the Lord in his own way and find mercy from the Lord. This book just like pierced my own heart in thinking, gosh, how often as a priest or just how often as a Christian do I just want to find God's mercy on my own terms? How often do I want to find strength? Do I want to find my own impact in this world on my own terms, under my own vision of here's what gifts I have, here's what strengths I have, here's how I can make a difference. And I just wonder like not just for me but for all of us, the Lord's calling us to great courage in looking at our poverty and just all of the ways that in our weakness we continue to fall short, we continue to let people down, that we don't have our life together, we don't have our prayer life together, we don't have whatever it is, right? And to not be afraid just to bring that before the Lord at the cross. Friends, it's at the cross where we find the Lord's mercy and it's at the cross where we find our Blessed Mother Mary. It's beautiful that we find Mary at the cross because it's there that we're able to find incredible strength when we are weak that we might lean into her. I just want to close this talk by giving a couple practical things. Are we humble enough to find ourselves as beggars at the cross? Are we able to find ourselves there relying, dependent on his mercy? What does that look like? I love that at this parish, 
There is such a habit of going to confession, which is such a beautiful thing. But I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're not there. And I just think that as faithful, we need to commit in a true repentance and a true spirit of conversion to go to confession at least once a month to make it a habit, right? And it's so often that that one month can come around and all of a sudden I'm really busy or I got a lot going on or I didn't sin that bad this month. And all of a sudden, right, like I don't have any time. And it can just be pride that can keep us from coming humbly again to the Lord and receiving his mercy. And I think about this too, right? This idea of going to confession once a month. There's so many opportunities to go to confession. What about in this Lent? What if we made this consideration of making the best examination of conscience we've, we've ever made? What if we made this proposal to ourselves, this confession is going to be the best confession that I've ever made. I'm going to actually look at my heart with all transparency, with all honesty, and actually be able to hold nothing back before the Lord. If you've never been able to do that, oh, get ready. It's one of the most incredible things just to actually allow the Lord to all those places of our hearts. And then finally, thinking about being at the foot of the cross, that we might depend on Mary. We need to be praying the rosary every single day. She is the mother of mercy. She is the one that can bring us, even when we are weak, even when we have temptations to stray, to go. She brings us right back to the cross through those beads. She can keep us chained, united to her son, so that we do not go far astray. So Mary, we come to you as your children. The foot of the cross your son gave us as beloved disciples to you. And Mary, we just ask that we might have a heart full of confidence to not be afraid to be given completely over to your son. Blessed Mother Mary, help us. Be our strength when we are weak. Give us encouragement. Take us by the hand. Lead us and guide us. Remind us of the incredible confidence that we can have always in your Son, that there is no sin that is too great for your Son, that his mercies truly are renewed every morning. The glory of the fullness of a life that comes from him, Mary, is found in your heart. May we be found in there too, in your immaculate heart, so that we can experience the glory of the sacred heart of your Son, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, praise the Lord. Grateful that you were here to be able to enter into this mission and hopefully coming to appreciate the real glory of being a, a beggar so that we might receive that incredible gift of God's forgiveness. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. Stay tuned for the third and final edition of this Lenten mission. Know that I'm praying for you, and please, please pray for me as well. God bless you.